Amen. Bless you, family of God, and thank you for your patience. But what a special occasion it is to share in today for Michael's ordination. Amen. So the one thing I just want to say is, thank you, John, that we are not required as pastors to wear ties. We appreciate that. But you looked very dapper in yours on the day, by the way. The message that I've got to share with you today, family of God, is the God of the open door. And I do appreciate your time, I'll respect your time, and I will stick to it. But I please ask you to lend your ear as I share this word. So, the God of the open door refers to the open door promise. We hear this very often, I pray God will give you an open door. I pray that there will be an open door of breakthrough for you. You could be trusting the Lord in any area of your life. But it's not actually, that should, it's not actually something that should be isolated from the scripture that it comes from. And where it comes from is from Revelation 3, verse 7 to 8, which I'd like us to read together. I'm going to bring all my points together. I'm not going to go point for point. I'm just going to bring my entire message together. So we're going to carefully going to go through the scripture. And the scripture refers specifically to the church of the Philadelphians. Now the Philadelphian church was one of the seven churches referred to in the book of, of Revelation that Jesus had messages for. Five of those churches were in error and he brought a word of correction to them. Two of those churches were not in error. They continued faithfully forward since the day that they were planted. And the Lord had real commendation for them, but something set them apart. And we're going to get into what set apart the Philadelphian church. But he had stern rebuke for the other churches. The, the churches in question, one was Ephesus, who had left their first love. The second was Pergamos, who had been given over to the doctrine of Balaam, which is to prostitute the ministry for financial gain. That's the sin of Balaam. Then they were also involved in the sin of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitan doctrine was that you could live a life of sin and still be, inverted commas, a full Christian coming to church and carrying on like there's no problem. A total mixing of the world and a so-called walk with God. Then the church of Thyatira allowed a false prophetess to teach a bunch of nonsense, including engaging in sexual immorality and eating things given to idols, offered to idols. Sardis was just dead, Morse to it, very, very dead. Um, and Laodicea was a compromising church, they were lukewarm. But something set Philadelphia apart. Something made them almost, you could say, the apple of God's eye under these circumstances. So let's begin to read together this portion of scripture. And I'll stop at various points and just bring to light a specific emphasis so that we too can lay hold on the promise of an open door. Because we all do want an open door in our life of any kind. Amen. And I want to bring out of the scripture in context, how we too can have access to an open door. Where we begin is Revelation 3, verse 7 to 8. Here Jesus is speaking and he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. Jesus is drawing attention to himself. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now, the key of David, that's not the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. The first time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Isaiah 22, verse 22. I'm going to read it to you. 
And essentially, the message is given through the prophet to the steward of the treasury, a man whose name was Shabnam. A very interesting name, to be sure. And uh, he, Shebna, he was over the storehouse, the treasury of the kingdom in King Hezekiah's time. He had the key to that treasury. And the Lord was essentially rebuking him and saying, I'm going to replace you with another, Elakim. And Elakim was to take his place. But this is what the Lord said to him in Isaiah 22, verse 22. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. Whose shoulder? Elakim, the one who's to replace Shebna. So he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. Word for word what we read in Revelation. And what is Jesus saying here? He is the steward of the treasures of heaven, of the storehouse of heaven. He has the key of David. Not the earthly representation that those stewards had. He's got the heavenly key and he holds the key to the storehouse of all the promises of God, which are in him, yes, and in him, amen, for us. He holds the key for us. So that's where we're at. Moving on in the scripture, Jesus says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Then in verse 9, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere. So we see this principle. What is he commending them for? They've kept his word, they've not denied his name, and they've persevered in this. He gave them the grace to do it. You have a little strength. They used all that strength that he gave to continue in faithfulness and to not fall into compromise. Now, the other five churches that were rebuked fell into compromise. They were still doing things right, but they were doing things wrong. And the Lord commended them for what was right, but he had to rebuke them for what was wrong and call them back to repentance. Philadelphia, not so. They had conducted themselves faithfully, keeping his word, not denying his name, and they were persevering. There is more to the story of how and why they continued in that way. What set them apart? What made it so that they were this uncompromising church? What makes it so that we can learn from their example that we too can be an uncompromising people? You see, all of these churches started out very, very well. They started on a strong foot. I guarantee when they were planted, they were all strong. There would have only been good words from the Lord for all of them. And yet down the line, they allowed compromise to come in. But something protected the Philadelphian church from this compromise. A little bit of background on the Philadelphian church. They were known as, well, they were in a city of Philadelphia, which was known as the city of brotherly love. It was founded by King Attalus II, who was the king of Pergamum. And what had happened was he had been on a shipwreck, thought lost at sea, and his brother Eumes II had taken over the throne, married his widow, and then ruled as king, only for Attalus to come back so-called from the dead. He had survived the shipwreck. Immediately Eumes abdicated the throne, gave the kingdom back to his brother, divorced the queen, and out of appreciation and love, Attalus built Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But it was built on the side of a volcano, which meant that it had many, uh, vol uh, not volcanic eruptions, it was earthquakes that they suffered with, natural disasters. And as the Christian church began to be built in Philadelphia, they were blamed for these natural disasters because it was a pagan city 
and the pagans would appease the gods with various ceremonies and sacrifices. And they blamed the Christians if there were any natural disasters thereafter because the Christians wouldn't participate. And if the Christians weren't at the sacrifice or the festival, they would say, because not the whole city was there, therefore this happened to us, and they persecuted the Christians because of it. So that's the context. It wasn't just Smyrna that was persecuted. It was also the city of Philadelphia. So in our scripture, we read here, he who is the king of David, he who opens, no one shuts, shuts, no one opens. Jesus go through, goes through their works that they've kept his name, uh, that they haven't denied his name, they've kept his word, and they've persevered. You only don't deny his name if you're under persecution. There's the indication they were under persecution because they were holding on to his name in the midst of all of that. But now what really set them apart was also, in my humble opinion, there's a truth contained in Jesus' rebuke, or put it this way, not rebuke, it's, it's his invitation to the Laodicean church, which was the lukewarm church. Jesus speaks of a door of a different kind. He says in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. So the word to the Philadelphian church is, I have an open door of opportunity for you. The word to the Laodicean church is, the door of your heart is closed to me at the moment. I'm standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Open up that door and I will come in and I will fellowship with you. I will impart my life to you. And so you see these two different doors. Now, the Philadelphian church were obviously opening the door of their heart to him every day in an ongoing way. They were experiencing an ongoing encounter with the Lord. It wasn't a once-off when they were saved. It wasn't just this one occasion where they opened their life to the Lord. There was this ongoing encounter of daily opening their heart to the Lord. And because they were daily opening their heart to the Lord, he could come in and fellowship with them. He could trust them. And out of the midst of that fellowship, they were then not denying his name outwardly towards persecution, and they were not compromising in their hearts and lives concerning the compromise that was presented to them through sin. They were standing against compromise internally towards sin, and they were standing against persecution outwardly because of their ongoing encounter with the Lord. If we open our lives to the Lord every day, He will come in and impart His life to us. And not only does He impart His life to us, when you are full of the Lord, you will go and sin no more. When the Lord ministered to people, this approachable Jesus, this beautiful Jesus, our Savior who walked dusty roads and, lived and, and slept under the Million Star Hotel and laid loving and calloused hands. I mean, he handled woodwork tools for thousands of hours, laying callous, yet gentle and loving hands upon the sick and the dying and even the dead and loved and gave. When we encounter him and he comes in, he imparts his life to us. And when we are full of that, when we are so full of light, there will be no space for darkness. What he would say to people is go and sin no more. But first he met their need. First they had an encounter with him. First they came to him. Or he came to them and he laid hands on them and he ministered to them. Such as the woman saved from being stoned because of adultery. She was caught in blatant sin. He saves her from being stoned. He tells her, I do not condemn you either. Then he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't start with that. He doesn't start by calling people out by their sin. He loves them. He ministers to their need. 
he essentially sorts them out, then they go and sin no more. And so that is what his encouragement to us is. Open the door of your heart that he can come in on a regular basis. Because when you are full of him, when temptation comes, like a full man who's had a full meal or a full lady, you are so full you can't have another bite. It doesn't matter what morsel so-called is put in front of you. You look at it and you go, oh, because you just feel so full. That's what he wants our relationship with him to be like. So full of him that when temptation presents, we are so full, we've got no appetite for what is being offered to us. The honest truth is that there's nothing new that the devil tempts us with. In the book of James, we read that each man is, or each person is drawn away by their own desires and enticed when it comes to the presentation of sin in their lives. James 1, 14 to 15 said, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But the beginning is our own desires. But if you're full of the Lord, it displaces the darkness, even of your own desires. You conform to his image. You walk in faithfulness. Just like the Philadelphian church, you will keep his word. You will not deny his name. You will persevere in that. You will look at him as the treasurer of the storehouse of heaven And your Savior will put an open door of promise in front of you that you can confidently trust him to bring to pass because he is faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.